Good morning, church. Our scripture passage this morning is found in the Gospel according to John, chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. You can follow along with me if you'd like, if you have a Bible in front of you uh, or with you. John chapter 5, starting in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Let's pray. Father, in the midst of much change, the spread of this virus, the shutdown of schools, the social distancing, the churches meeting online, much social fear and anxiety, we come to you this morning to your word to be our rock. We come to you, Father, in your word to be taught and encouraged. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We know the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word will stand forever. Your son teaches us that everyone who hears the word and does what it says will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. As the rains fall and the floods come, the wind blows and beats on the house, it will not fall because it has been founded on the rock. Father, your word teaches us that all prayers and supplications and thanksgiving made for all people, for kings and those who are on high places. So we pray now, Father, for our government, locally, in our county, in our state, in our country. We pray for the rulers around the world that you might grant wisdom and discernment to them as they continue to make decisions. We pray for the church that we might show respect to everyone and love for one another and honor those who are in authority over us. We trust in you that you are our good and wise king. Your providence and your mercy sustains us. We thank you for technologies and tools where we can gather online, and although not the same in person, that in some way we can be virtually together, singing together and, and hearing the preaching of God's word. Help us in this time to love our neighbors and to demonstrate the unique peace and life and joy that comes from union with Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. If you haven't already, let me invite you to take a hold of your Bible and open with me to the Gospel according to John. Today we're looking at John chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. The focus of our passage this morning is going to be on the voice of Jesus, his power and the life-giving voice that he has in his voice. In this passage, we'll see the authority of Jesus and his claim to be one with God the Father, his authority, which means he not only has the power to give life, but also to execute judgment. And Jesus teaches us in this passage this morning that what you do with Jesus, how you respond to his voice, has, will be demonstrated in the way that you live your life and in the, the eternal trajectory that your life is on. 
the past two stories that we've looked at uh, in John have prepared us for what Jesus says about his voice in this section. In John chapter 4, verses 43 54, we saw Jesus healing a sick boy with the power of his word. So there's a boy who's experiencing sickness. He has this deadly illness. He's at the point of death. And Jesus speaks a word. And this boy, who's 15 to 20 miles away, is healed in a mere word. That's power. That's not of this world ability. The next section is, is John 5, verses 1 through 18, where Jesus comes to a multitude of invalids, and he comes to one man who had been an invalid for 38 years, probably paralyzed, and he says to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And the man gets up and walks. Now, this, is, I think, is hard for us to believe because if we get the flu or we get sick or we break our leg, we need to go to the doctor. And we can't just call the doctor. We can't call a specialist and get healed over the phone. We have to go to the hospital. We have to go to the doctor. We have to go to his or her office. We have to get medical scans or x-rays. We have to fill out surveys and get prescriptions and go to the pharmacy and, and maybe get referred to a further specialist about healing. But that's not how Jesus works. He says a word and you're healed. That's not really how medicine works. And I would say if, if you, someone is claiming to have the power to heal you over the phone, that person's probably a nut job. Uh, that's not the case with Jesus. He says a word and sickness is gone. He has the power and has demonstrated this power that if this Jesus is true and if he has this kind of healing voice in his, uh, healing power in his voice, why doesn't he just say the word and heal the whole multitude? Right? There's a whole multitude of sick people in the last story and Jesus comes to one man. And if we believe this and if, if we believe what Jesus will lay out in our passage this morning, we know and believe that Jesus could say a word and coronavirus is gone. But he doesn't. And I think why Jesus doesn't heal the multitude, why he doesn't just say a word and heal everyone, is because he's, number one, he's already offered a greater healing. And these healings are pointing to a greater healing that we need. The healing of our souls, the healing of the, the restoration of our spirits. Right? Often when disaster strikes or when we experience suffering and, and evil, we can often ask, how can God, who is or if there is a God, how can he be good if so much evil still exists? This is a common objection to the Christian faith. How can a good God allow so much evil in the world? But I wonder if it's not God's goodness and grace to allow us to see and experience and feel the brokenness in the world that is. I wonder how could a good God not allow suffering and evil in this world to show humanity the true reality of what it is? It is broken. And it seems to me that God is good and kind to show us this to cause us to experience this present world and all that is brokenness and evil to show us that this is not all that is meant to be. That it's pointing to a time when there would be renewal and restoration, when this broken creation would be healed, when we feel that, it, that this isn't how it should be. It calls us to consider there might be more outside of this mere physical realm. And what Jesus is going to teach us in the passage this morning is that there is something far greater than physical healing. There's the healing of our souls, the renewal of our souls, and the promise of a glorified, resurrected body to be in the joyful presence of God forever. But it depends on what we do with Jesus and how we respond to his voice. That's what Jesus shows us in this passage. So let's look at the passage. What does the text say, starting in verse 19? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So this connects back to what Jesus said in verse 17, when Jesus said, my father is working until now, and I am working. So because the, the son only does what he sees the father doing, and the, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing, because the father's working, I'm working. 
That's the connection of the, the flow and the thought in, in chapter 5. And, and this is the, is the explicit claim that Jesus is making about himself, that he is God. And this is what he will continue to, to claim as we go through the passage in the ability to give life and execute judgment. The Jews in this time seem to be picking up on what Jesus is saying here. That's why it says in verse 18 of chapter 5, this is why the Jews were seeking to, all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus is saying, I'm working until now. My father's working. I'm working. Jesus says, the father and I are one. I am equal with the father. Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And Jesus will continue to make these explicit claims about his authority and his deity as we continue for in verse 20, because the reason is the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Jesus is the Son, the Son of God that the Father loves, who the Father has shown him all that he's doing, and the Father has displayed his love in revealing and showing and disclosing his love continually to Jesus and all that the Father is doing. And greater works than these will he show him. In other words, greater works than what he's just shown, the the healing of a a sick boy 15 to 20 miles away with a mere word, he's going to do greater works than this. He's going to do greater works than than healing a man who had been an invalid for 38 years. And greater works than these will he show him. So the father is going to show the son these works. The, The son only does what he sees the father doing. Therefore, as the Father shows the Son what he's doing, Jesus is going to do these works, and when Jesus is doing these works, it's so that you may marvel, so that his disciples may marvel. The word marvel could also be said, be amazed or be astonished. The the Father will show the Son greater works than these so that you may be filled with wonder. Jesus continues on, and he starts to oscillate between this idea of life and judgment. These are exclusive claims of, of what only God could do. He's calling himself God here. Verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Now, in Jewish thought, in the Torah, in the historical books, in the Old Testament, raising the dead or giving life is only thought of as coming from God. So in Jesus saying that that he has the power to do this in himself, he is claiming himself to be God. In, In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, Moses records God revealing this about himself, that I am he and there is no other God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is no one that can, no one can deliver them out of my hand. This thought is seen further in, in, in the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, Samuel's mom, a woman named Hannah, prays this prayer, the Lord kills and brings to life. The Lord brings down to Sheol and raises up. This is, this is what the Jews thought, that only God could do this. And Jesus is claiming something here that only God could do. He continues in verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And what Jesus is saying in this verse is that although Jesus and the Father are equal, they have different roles. Although they share the same divine nature, he is also different. This is why there's an ancient Orthodox confession of Christians that, that God is three persons in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is equal to God. The Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and the Son, yet they all share different roles and different functions. So the Father commissions, the Father grants, the Father initiates, the Father sends the Son. The Son responds by subjecting himself to the Father, by obeying. He only does what he sees the Father do. And although I don't think this is a necessarily essential principle to this text, it's important to, to see that this idea of equal but different plays itself into very other avenues and aspects of 
church community, family, and marriage. This is why as a church, we believe that while all humanity is created equal, we have equal value as being created in the likeness of God, men and women, fathers and mothers, husbands and wives, elders and church members have different roles. They have different functions. And this concept of differing roles doesn't originate in some sort of culture. It originates in the Godhead itself. Jesus continues in verse 22, excuse me, verse 23, uh, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Uh, Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So Jesus is claiming, I'm not only equal to God in my activity, I only do what I see the Father doing. Jesus is claiming I'm equal to God in honor. I'm I'm in union with God in what I do. I'm in union with God in the honor that I uh, should be shown and, and the glory that I should receive. In other words, you can't say that you honor God without honoring Jesus. And you can't say you honor Jesus without honoring God. You can't say you believe in God and not believe in Jesus. This is why, fundamentally, Judaism and Jehovah's Witness and Mormonism and Islam, that we don't worship the same God. Because Jesus claimed to be God, and these religions, these faiths, reject this claim that Jesus was God. I think the same is is true for so-called Christian churches who, who don't mention Jesus, they don't sing to Jesus, they don't sing about Jesus. You don't honor Jesus you don't honor God. Jesus says in verse 24, truly, truly, we've seen this phrase earlier in verse 19, but it translates the Greek, amen, amen. It's, it's another way of saying, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. This is building off of what Jesus said in, in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him has eternal life. It's present, active. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus is talking about here what the Apostle Paul will later write about, which is called justification by faith, meaning the, the passing from being a state of condemnation to a state of forgiveness. The state of death to life happens by believing in Jesus, by placing your faith in him. In other words, what makes the Jesus' teaching so unique and what makes Christianity so unlike every other religion that I don't think it should be deserved to be called a religion is right standing with God, acceptance with God, pleasure with God, being with God happens through faith, through believing. You pass from a state of guilt to condemnation, from judgment to life by trusting in Jesus. And believing is what causes you to have eternal life phrase that we've defined as a life of abundant joy and a measurable blessing in the presence of God forever. So even though that all humanity is condemned, we stand guilty as rebellious sinners before a holy and perfect God by believing we move from a state of judgment to life, from condemnation from, to forgiveness, that although we stand before the judge condemned, that Jesus, by believing in him, came to take our place and we can leave the courtroom pardoned what Jesus says. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And he says this phrase again, truly, truly, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, an hour is coming and it's now here when the dead will hear the voice of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. You see there again, Jesus oscillating between this idea of life and judgment, life and judgment. The dead will hear the voice of Jesus and live. The voice of Jesus is so powerful that it not only can heal someone 25 to 15 to 20 miles away, it can not only 
command a man who has been invalid for 38 years to get up and walk. Jesus' voice has the power to cause dead people to live. Because just as God the Father has life in himself, Jesus has life in himself. This is an, a, a new thought that we've seen in the Gospel according to John. At the very beginning of the Gospel, the writer John writes, All things were made through him, Jesus. And without Jesus was not anything made that was made. So Jesus speaks and creation comes into being. Jesus speaks and decomposed bodies come to life. If Jesus has the power to say, let there be light and there's light. If Jesus has the power to create and organize molecules into matter, he has the power to take what was had no life and give it life. He has that kind of power and authority. And not only the power and authority to give life, but the ability to execute judgment. Seems God has appointed all humanity to be judged by the Son of Man, a man, a human, the God-man. And Jesus says in verse 28, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, and those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, I don't think we can miss what Jesus says here. How many are going to raise from the tombs? All. All. All in the tombs are going to rise. All. Now, today there's an estimated 7.5 billion people on earth. I read this week in a, in a 2012 BBC article, the Population Reference Bureau estimated that there have been about 107 billion people that have ever lived. Now, that's hard to fathom. 107 billion estimated people that have ever lived. And Jesus says, all will rise. The, the peasant a thousand years ago in England will rise. The caveman will rise. Buddha will rise. Alexander the Great will rise. Muhammad will rise. Napoleon will rise. Joan of Arc will rise. Cleopatra will rise. Sir Isaac Newton will rise. George Washington will rise. Abraham Lincoln will rise. John F. Kennedy will rise. Prince will rise. Kobe Bryant will rise. Your great-great-great-grandma will rise. Billions will rise at the voice of Jesus. They will be resurrected. This is why I think the kind of modern caricatures about heaven and hell can be misleading. When there's this, almost this belief where when you die, your, your spirit or this immaterial part of who you are it becomes formless and floats up into the clouds or, or floats down into the earth. Uh, that, that's not what the scriptures talk about. The scriptures speak of life after, life after death. In other words, there, is, there will be a, a kind of intermediate state. When, when we die, our spirits, our souls, the immaterial part of who we are is separated from our body, and we will go to an intermediate state. But when Jesus comes again, there will be a final resurrection where the spirit and the body will join together again. And Jesus says that those who have done good will go to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This is what, the, this is what the, Jews, the, the Jews thought. This is what they've been taught in their Old Testament scriptures. The prophet Daniel says in Daniel 12, 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. When Paul speaks before the governor Felix, he says, There will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Jesus says there will be those who resurrect to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And this is not in contradiction to what Jesus said earlier, that, that passing from judgment to life, from death to life, happens by believing. That's not a contradiction. What Jesus is saying here is that by your belief, it will be demonstrated by your works. So in other words, what the scriptures teach and what Jesus is saying in this passage is what you believe about Jesus will be demonstrated in the way you live and in what you do. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, 
Your faith will not remain alone. You will do good. Like thunder follows lightning, good works follow genuine faith. Good works is the evidence of true faith. You don't have good works indicates you don't have genuine faith. So when we consider what Jesus is saying in this passage, when we look at what the text, we see that Jesus is claiming to be equal with God. He is fully human and fully divine. And as divine, Jesus must be honored as God. In fact, Jesus has given all judgment to the Son. He's given the Son the right to execute judgment, to pass Jesus. And what you make of Jesus is the basis of your judgment. Jesus not only has all authority in judgment, but as God, he has life in himself. And anyone who believes, who hears Jesus' word and obeys, will be raised on the last day to enjoy God forever in the age of final resurrection and will be transformed now, will receive eternal life now. Jesus' voice has the power to do this. Whether or not people listen and respond to the voice in the world that is today, one day all will hear and respond. So the text calls us to consider what are we doing in responding and hearing to the voice of Jesus. As we consider what this text means and how we can apply these truths, there is a call for those who have not yet trusted in Jesus, those who haven't placed their faith in him, to see his power, to see his authority, to see his deity, and to submit to him, to believe in him, to honor him, and worship him. It shows us that there are eternal consequences in your decision in what you make of Jesus, what you do with Jesus. This is what judgment rests on. Did you believe him? Did you receive him? Did you reject him? If you're listening this morning or you're tuning in and you're considering Christianity, you might be intrigued or you're skeptical, please hear what Jesus is saying. You will be raised from the dead someday. If you're cremated, the leftover ashes of your cremated body will come to life or if you're in a coffin, your decomposed body, your corpse in a coffin will obey the voice of Jesus. You will rise from the dead and face Jesus, and he will judge you. And he will examine, did you trust me? Did you receive me? Did you rest in me? Did you obey me? Did you find life and joy in me? This text presents a call from Jesus that if you have not yet obeyed the voice of Jesus, hear him and submit to him. Don't wait. Come to Christ and pass from death and judgment to life. Receive him. For the church, for those who already believe, this section of teaching calls us to be amazed at the power and the glory of Jesus, and I think calls us to consider how our life reflects what we're believing about this voice of Jesus. We see that no one has a voice like Jesus. All in the tombs will rise and hear his voice and, and live. We know that dead people can't hear things. They can't respond. They can't think. They're dead. But Jesus' voice is so powerful and so life-giving that he can speak, and this happens. The scriptures say that Jesus upholds the universe by the power of his word. And I don't think this teaching is intended for us to cause a kind of conceptual, heady understanding that doesn't really have any bearing or implications of our life. I don't think that this passage is just that we can have assurance or some sort of hope in the afterlife. I think what Jesus talks about in this, in this passage about the power of his voice is to cause us to marvel at him, to strengthen our faith in him, and to commit ourselves to obeying him more deeply and more faithfully. If Jesus has the kind of power to awaken spiritually dead sinners to new life, if Jesus is God and, and, and as God has life in himself, then I think the degree to which you are connected and resting and abiding and in communion with him, you're believing in him, 
is the degree to which you will experience this joy, this peace, this rest, and this eternal life that Jesus talks about, that you've already received. In other words, I think the quality of your abundant joy and the experience of a measurable blessing, this thing called eternal life, will become a reality the more and more you trust in the voice of Jesus and find rest and obedience in him. You may conceptually agree with the truth found in John 5. You may believe that, yes, if I believe in Jesus, I have passed from judgment to life, that I will be raised with Jesus on the last day forever. But what do your daily habits, your involvement in the spiritual disciplines, the degree to which your life is characterized by peace and joy reflect about your trust and your functional belief in Jesus? Now, I've never physically heard the voice of Jesus. Jesus is not in the bodily form with us, not like the sense he was around 2,000 years ago. He's since returned to the Father's side, but he's not left us without a written record of his word. He's not left us without Jesus' word to his apostles about how to live in light of his life and his death and his resurrection. We are not like the disciples in this story who heard Jesus teach these things and realities because we were physically with him, but we do have his word. We do have what's been preserved and revealed to us in the Bible. And Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Where do we find his word? We find his word in the Bible, in the scriptures. So I take that to mean that what Jesus is saying here, that on one level, believing in Jesus and responding to his voice is a one-time decision that we make where we come, we receive eternal life, and we pass from death to life. But on the other hand, I take this to mean that we find life as we continually hear and respond to the voice of Jesus. I don't think we just want to, Jesus' voice to only affect our afterlife. We want the voice of Jesus to shape and affect everything in our life. And it doesn't make sense that, that you might come to Jesus to trust in him one time and yet not be totally committed and responding to his word in all of life. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. So you don't abide in Jesus' word, you're proving yourself not to be a disciple. There's a commitment to the voice of Jesus as we believe how powerful and life-giving it is. Naturally and historically, I think we've resisted the truth in this passage, uh, as the Jews did early on as they were hearing this voice. I think we can re reject these truths in, in, number one, a kind of conscious rejection that's intentional. And for those who are so-called believers or those in the church, uh, for the, us this morning, there's kind of a subtle resistance. So there's an, a conscious rejection in Jesus' time. The Jews, they thought when Jesus was saying these things, he was blaspheming. So he was a liar. And 2,000 years ago, our culture is prone to believe that, that, that there isn't a God. And even if there was a God, it couldn't be Jesus. It had to be some sort of, of mixture of all that there is. Many in Jesus' time thought that he was a crazy person. He had a demon. He was a liar. He was crazy. He couldn't have said so, these things that were so outlandish. He couldn't be in his right mind to say these things. Who claims to be God? For us, as we have been uh, much more now in a technology, te technologically advanced age, science has shown itself that life exists and life multiplies and it kind of reproduces itself. So we don't think that, that God is responsible for the birth of my child. I mean, my wife and I did something. The egg was fertilized. Life was created. Human, the human being came into existence. So then when Jesus claims, oh, I have the power to, to resurrect, I have the power of life in myself, and, and he's claiming to do something that's scientifically impossible, we dismiss him. Yes, we think, okay, we can bring someone back from the dead whose heart has stopped for a little while. Through, through modern medicine and technology, maybe we can start someone's heart who's, who's been stopped. But a couple days dead, buried in a coffin, that they're, they're done. 
Maybe more dangerously, we resist this subtly, especially those who are in the church, by resisting the life-giving and all-powerful voice of Jesus, by claiming that we believe in this voice. Yet it's not really uh, bearing fruit. We're not really obeying it in our life. We're more committed to the latest show that we find on Amazon Video or, or Hulu or Netflix or, or now Disney+. Plus. Even after we come to believe in this Jesus, we struggle and fight. Our natural selves resist it, even in the time in which we live where Jesus' word is so easily accessible and readable. We look to anyone else or anything else to find life and joy and meaning and blessing. We're not marked by a sense of wonder and fear and marveling at Jesus' power and his glory. We're not filled with wonder at this all-life-giving voice of Jesus. At best, I think there are many who in the church who, who suffer from this immaturity, not being abiding in Jesus' word, but at worst, there, there are many who are self-deceived. Their life looks no different than when they claim to believe in Jesus. They don't abide in the word of Jesus. They don't prove themselves to be a disciple. The beauty of the reality of this passage, friends, is that, that Jesus goes on to accomplish the works that he promises here. When Jesus says in verse 20, the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. I think Jesus has two things in mind here. Number one, I think he has in mind the raising of his friend Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was a friend that Jesus had who, who had been dead for four days. Jesus comes to the tomb where Lazarus was buried, and he shouts with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus comes out. A dead man hears the voice of Jesus and raises and lives. This is, I think, the hour that Jesus is talking about. The hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of God and those who hear will live. Because we live on the other side of, of Jesus' resurrection, we see that Jesus' promises here are not just empty promises. He goes on to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he doesn't just raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus has life in himself, so even after the Jews conspire to put him to death, even after he's sentenced to an unjust trial, he, he dies in the place of a rebellious murderer. He is an innocent man nailed to a Roman cross, and he's crucified and dies. A Roman soldier stabs him with a spear. Water and blood flow out, proving that he is dead. He dies. He was buried in a tomb. A heavy stone was rolled over the tomb. He didn't stay dead. He has life in himself, and he was resurrected from the dead on the third day. He proves himself by appearing to his disciples. And, and John, the man who had heard Jesus say these things, who had seen Jesus raise his friend Lazarus from the dead, who had seen himself raised from the dead, he says, I have seen this glory in Jesus. And know that if you believe in this Jesus, you can find this resurrected life that I've seen in the Savior. That Jesus does not just make these empty promises in here. He accomplishes it. Therefore, he can be trusted. Therefore, I'm writing this gospel so that you may believe in Jesus and find life in him. I'm writing this passage in John 5 that you may believe in him and find life in the voice of Jesus and respond to him accordingly in obedience that you would receive eternal life. He can't be a liar. He can't be a crazy person if he did what he said that he did. No one believed that Jesus was who he said he was after he died on the cross. All his friends left him. Those who were walked with him, who lived with him, who heard his teaching for years, they abandoned him. He died, that was it. The run was over. But everything changed when Jesus appeared to his disciples in bodily form, in a resurrected state, and they believed in him. 
He was who he said he was. He had the power of life in himself. He proved what he claimed to be. And friends, this is how Jesus' accomplished empowers us. This is how Jesus' accomplishment empowers us to live and move on from the story in greater faith and deepening wonder at the power of Jesus. If Jesus is dead, if he stayed in the tomb, he can be dismissed. And I am an idiot for giving my life to preaching the gospel and believing in the Christian faith. I'm to be pitied. I'm I'm living in an illusion. But if he did what he said that he did, things must change. Reality can't be the same that it once was. And friends, if Jesus can do what no one else can, if he can raise from the dead, and if he promises all will be raised by his voice, his voice not only can be trusted, but it must be trusted. It must be obeyed. He must be honored. The passage calls us to be amazed at Jesus and to trust him, to believe in him, to worship him, to be filled with wonder at the power and glory of Jesus because we see that Jesus has the power to grant life. We believe that Jesus has the power to grant us eternal spiritual life, cause physical matter to change, decompose corpses to come alive. So we give ourselves to the hearing of Jesus' voice. When we can't gather together in traditional ways, we come online to hear the voice of Jesus preached. We continually come to the voice of Jesus on our own, individually, in a quiet place with the Bibles open on our laps. We want to be marked and and hear the voice of Jesus to give us life. When the world is paralyzed with fear and worry, we cling to Jesus and the certain power and authority of his life-giving voice. We warn others of the coming judgment and invite them to trust in Jesus, to believe in Jesus. We hold out Jesus as the only one who can give life. He is our greatest hope, the securest foundation. We cling to Jesus even when we study and read passages like this that cause us, that tell us that we should feel wonder at the Son of God. We should feel uh, filled with wonder and amazement and marvel at the Son of God. And even when we don't feel amazed at Jesus, we confess, Jesus, I believe that your word says what it will do. And I'm asking, Father, I confess in my natural self, these supernatural realities don't amaze me. In my natural self, your word is boring and I resist them. I'm not filled with wonder at the beauty of Jesus. I don't consider him great, and I'm not amazed by his beauty in this passage, but help me to experience your voice for what it truly is. Grant spiritual life to this callous and wandering heart. Help me to obey to not only, help me to obey, which shows that I'm living in in line with reality. All creation, all things obey your voice, so help me to obey, to live in light of what is true that your voice is all-powerful and to be obeyed. Church, this week, commit yourself and submit yourself to Jesus' voice. See that everything is subject to Jesus' voice. All living and dead things are subject to Jesus' voice, so trust him. Come to him. Sink into his promises. Hear him speak to you. Reveal himself to you in the Bible and honor him by believing him by submitting to him, by obeying him. Jesus calls us to abide in him. Jesus tells us that apart from him, we can do nothing. He calls us to have his words abide in us. He calls us to continually find life and joy in his voice. And he says these things, that his words may be in us so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. May we worship this Jesus together now as we submit and commit ourselves to this life-giving voice of Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, we desire to honor your son. Help us to honor Jesus by believing his words, by treasuring him, by finding our joy and life in him. Father, help us to experience the freedom and sweetness and joy of not coming under judgment, but passing from death to life. Thank you for giving life to us. You have willed it. Thank you for strengthening our faith through your words and through your accomplishment on the cross and the resurrection. Help us to walk in the eternal life you have already given us. And that as those we encounter would see the hope and life that is in us, we would be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have, that we have life because Jesus has life in himself and we are in Jesus. Jesus, may we be honored. May you be honored as we sing to you. May you be honored this week as we commit ourselves to the study and application and internalization and and seeking to live in accord with what your word says. Help us to love you and love our neighbors. Help us to be all you've created us to be. Humble us. Show us that apart from you, we can do nothing. We need your grace and your spirit to believe the first time, and we need your grace and your spirit to continually believe and be transformed. So, Father, we submit to you. I pray that your word and, and, and your son, Jesus, would be honored in our church. May you be honored as we sing to you now. In his name I pray. Amen.